everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 437. Will he? Won't he? to the Big Chill Podcast. Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, do you have any weather updates for us you want to tell us? It's finally rained here. So wow, had... <laughs> what another weather weather anomaly <laughs> in Paris. It's huge, though. I mean, we're having such a drought that that is actually, you know, it's one of those, you don't want to be one of those people who has a really boring conversation of we really need the rain and, oh, the farmers really need the rain, but it is an instance where we we really need the need the rain. Like this Eddie, is... you're talking to a man who lives in the desert. <laughs> no, but that's different. You chose you chose to move to a place with no rain, permanent drought. In, but I mean, I hear that all the time. Yeah, and I my my counter to people wonder whenever they say that like, oh, it's so nice that it rained. We really needed the rain. I always say, no, we didn't. You chose to live in the desert. This is what happens. Like, what do you expect? I still hate when it rains. It's it's such an inconvenience, especially here because the the soil doesn't take to the water, so everything flash floods. It just, uh, it's yeah. it's awful. Like roads just shut down in twenty minutes because the the flooding. I like rain, so oh, I hate it. I, I wouldn't want to live in a permanent state of rain. Like I wouldn't want to live in you know Southeast Asia and be hit by a monsoon season. That doesn't tempt me, but a Lots day with have. rain, <laughs> yeah, a, a day with rain itself is not. Is not too bad, but I think we've probably dedicated already far too much time to the weather talk. Well, what else is there to talk about, Eddie? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Actually, yeah, I would say an exciting match week two for a Premier League. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess there's again, you can kind of highlight probably three talking points. So United's abysmal start to the season, the Spurs. The Chelsea Spurs match, which had a number of different talking points within it. And then Liverpool, I mean, as we're recording, having just dropped their drop points yet again, uh, maybe easiest to start with Liverpool, who once again, I mean, this was probably a better performance from them compared with their how they played against Fulham. They really deserve to win this match, not helped by Darwin Nunez getting sent off, not helped by missing a number of pretty decent chances. But... Already four points behind City. I guess the real talking point is done. How? Yeah, I mean done. It's. I they. they I almost think they're done. That's there's not I, there's there's not a lot of breathing room left. That's. For I mean sure. the issue the issue too is this is they're now four points back on four points they should have had. It's different if you would tell me that like they played Chelsea and Spurs, right? And they they came out with two. Okay, you expect maybe to get come out with four, but you came out with two. But you know, to open with these two teams and only only get two, no good. Yeah, it's putting a lot of pressure on them for the remainder of the season. And as you point out, I think a lot of pressure on their performances against the bigger teams because you have to kind of make up for this somewhere. So whether that's directly against City or in picking up you know, points away from home against Chelsea or Arsenal or Spurs. There's, they're going to have to make up for this somewhere. Now, we are kind of working under the assumption here that City will be the City we've seen in recent seasons and only drop points in a handful of games. 
you know, it's not that long ago that the Premier League was won with 80 points. And if that's the case, then you're not that far out of it. But, you know, the expectations are that City will pick up 90 plus points, maybe mid 90s, even have the possibility, I guess, of getting close to 100 points. And so, yeah. You... I, after watching City this Saturday, that was, I think they're going to be at the upper tier of points. I mean, that was just, a, yeah. that, that was a thrumping. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's definitely, like, I, it's hard to see where, it's hard to imagine this City team with so much strength and depth and with the added goal threat that Holland brings dropping, you know, you just expect them to be ruthless against the weaker sides which then goes back to the fact that Liverpool dropping these points against, you know, two teams who are not exactly, you know, you're not expecting to be the, towards the top of the table and the, the, the drop points look even worse. Yeah, you know, I can't imagine when City play Palace at home and Fulham away that they're getting anything other than six points. So if you just take it on a kind of head by, head-to-head match-by-match comparison, it's an, it's going to be a negative four points for for Liverpool. So I'd almost I put it this way: if they, I mean, they play United next, could be the best thing they could have hoped for against this. I guess a way for us to segue into the United discussion, but this could be just what the doctor ordered as far as Liverpool are concerned. Having said that, would it be that extraordinary for United to kind of turn things around? after seemingly hitting rock bottom this weekend and then get some kind of result against Liverpool. And then all of a sudden you could be looking at Liverpool eight or nine points, uh, sorry, six or seven points behind City after three weeks. And then that would seem almost a bridge too far. Yeah. I mean, first off, they're not, they're not, they haven't seemingly hit rock bottom. They are literally rock bottom of the table right now so they they are on the bottom they are the bottom feeders yeah and and you're you're absolutely correct that that is one of those matches you could see a turnaround and even another draw that liverpool gets put in and that's three out of the first three is not a good start for them so yeah it 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 doesn't look good i mean I was going to ask you, I know this is more of an instant reaction because we had just watched it, but the Nunez red, definitely. It, it, it seemed a little exaggerated where he turned around and with, like threw his head, but the guy happened to be pushing hit. Like it, he, he got unlucky in where their heads were in space. If you, if you kind of see what I'm saying, if he's just a little further back and he, he like goes to hit him, but doesn't actually hit him that I don't think it's a red. And it was just it. It was a little unlucky, I think. Yeah, maybe slightly unlucky, but I th- I think yeah, it's a it's a red card. I mean, you just know if you you know you if you choose to do that, you're giving you're giving a referee very few options once you have anything that resembles a headbutt. So yeah, you're not seeing players when they're getting red cards for headbutts exactly trying to knock the uh, the other player out. So, you know, it's not the kind of thing that if you were in a bar, you would go, oh, my God, he's just assaulted him. I think that's certainly the case. But on. Yeah, it it looked more like that thing that European footballers like to do. That's so stupid where they kind of just shove their head into the other person's face. It's just like, yes. what's your main outcome? Do you want to kiss him? What are you trying to do here? Like, why are you getting so close to his face? It was almost as if he kind of tried to do that. But the 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 location, the other player was in the wrong spot and he ends up just hitting him. 
<laughs> he's not helped by the fact that he's significantly shorter. So it makes it look because he's then not hitting him. He's hitting him in an awkward spot. And I think all right, all right. Leave leave the leave, leave the shortness the short alone. Game. Leave the shortness out of it. You're also, I mean, you might be making a, a kind of good point there, in that he might be as someone used to, a, you know, having being used to the way that continental players react. Maybe he was expecting the weird. Let's rub our foreheads against each other to show how manly we are. And instead, he got a player who just decided. No, you've just shoved your forehead into my chin. I'll fall over and you'll get sent off. Yeah, I guess we can move on to Manchester United's abysmal start to the season. So, you know, we, we spoke last episode about whether or not now getting the chance to play Brentford, would that be their, you know, an, an easier way for them to bounce back? Or it could be the perfect recipe for an absolute disaster. And it has been the latter. I mean, just an absolutely atrocious first half performance i mean impossible to find a positive from what you saw as a manchester united supporter i just don't know i just don't know what you think of it really i mean down for 35 minutes in i would have loved to gotten a a gauge on the temperature of some of the united fans at that point one fan in particular at that 35 minute window i would have loved to uh see how far the remote control had traveled through his hand i I think the thing is that and, and I actually, as someone who supported multiple sports teams, though, that have gone through this period, I think the what Manchester United are in grave danger of pushing their supporters towards is just indifference. And I think that's the real, like, I think they are so far removed now from being a good team. You know, you're, you're going a decade ago now since they were actually legitimately very good. I think you run the risk that there's just, ugh, here we go again. Uh, another another bad performance. Oh, I don't even like the pain is gone. You know the bandaid has been well and truly ripped off. The wound is exposed. Like the limb has been amputated at this point. Like there is just, <laughs> you know, there's just an acceptance of the fact that this is what it's going to be like. Yeah, I mean, we we kind of joked what it would take the manager to get to get sacked. And I'm at this point, relegation. I know we're two weeks in, but relegation is starting to look like an option. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it will happen. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely not. I think we can rule out top four. I think that one, <laughs> after two matches, I think it's safe to say. Hey, they're only two behind Liverpool. It's true, yeah. Maybe they'll both go down. But no, I think, yeah. And then, you know, the big question that still hangs over them to a certain extent is what to do with Cristiano Ronaldo. Their recent reports now, or the latest reports, suggest that they might be interested in, unless he significantly improves his attitude just because of the way he's carrying himself on the pitch, they are contemplating terminating his contract and just making him a free agent, which I don't. if that's the threat that's supposed to be being sort of levied towards him i don't think it's a threat from his perspective he wants to leave he wants to sign for a club in the champions league if he's a free agent then that might actually become a realistic possibility because someone might decide that it's now affordable especially if he just if he thinks do you know what i'm getting towards the back end of my career i don't even need to earn that much i can take a lower salary just for the chance to have one final spin at the Champions League, and maybe I'm now extra motivated to prove that everyone at Manchester United was wrong about me in the final stages of my time there. So I kind of don't know what the play is from talking about that, because it seems that would be 
him very happy and it doesn't he doesn't seem to benefit Manchester United all that much. I mean, all I know is he did not look too happy on Saturday. <laughs> There's the many faces of Cristiano Ronaldo. That was one of pure, pure anger and frustration. So something's got to happen soon. Yeah. Yeah. Something is going to give either. He somehow there is a kind of a come to Jesus moment within the old Trafford dressing room and they all, figure things out and maybe that is them beating Liverpool you know it could be as simple as Cristiano Ronaldo scores a couple of goals against Liverpool and all of a sudden the world looks a little bit brighter there is that possibility but the alternative is Liverpool get back into the swing of things absolutely hammer Manchester United next Monday and all of a sudden Manchester United after three matches are still bottom of the table and Cristiano Ronaldo is still behaving like you know a small child and they are approaching the end of the transfer window and decide they just have to get rid of him. That is a possibility. but And that's more likely than them picking up a result against Liverpool. So I don't know really what to say. Well, I think the other talking point from the week was Chelsea Spurs. And uh, both teams just super deserving of that point. I just want to put that out there <laughs> right off the bat. And that was a well-deserved draw for both clubs well i said i would be stunned if chelsea beat spurs and i was what a prediction that was that's super you were right they didn't yeah, they didn't <laughs> didn't even look never looked like they were going to win either ne- I mean, never deserving of that win no yeah it was um yeah i mean it was an enjoyable match to watch certainly tensions were high there were you know every sort of chance yeah. that went missing or goal that was scored it seemed like everyone got more and more worked up and it is that second. I mean, that second half was great. That yeah. was super exciting, super fun to watch. And it, look, they they seem to genuine genuinely dislike each other. And in sports, you need that. You know, I mean, there are you know, there's the old people who complain about how athletes all like each other too much and the handshakes and the hugs before and after every match. And look, I think that's a little too much of a you know old man on the porch yelling at the world kind of take. At the same time, within sports, you do need moments where there are teams that genuinely dislike each other. And these two teams, from the manager to the players, do not seem to like each other very much. And that makes it more interesting. It means that, you know, the reverse fixture is going to be must-watch TV. Like, I have to watch Spurs play Chelsea next time around because who knows what they might have a full-on fight on the touchline based on how that match ended. Well. The question is, who's going to have the fight? Is it going to be the players or the managers? Because that was the other, the it's other more likely uh, to be the talking managers. point. Walking away. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think it's more likely to be the managers. And look, I mean, it's the, they were both kind of celebrating in each other's faces at different moments in time for <laughs> the course of so the match. So good. And then, yeah, it spilled over right at the full time whistle when uh, Tuchel refused to release. Conte's hand in a very bizarre exchange because he didn't but, look at him in the eyes. He said, <laughs> "Yeah, it, it's all very weird." But yeah, not, so I have to. Of... I my my feeling on that is, I feel like Conte is kind of an asshole, but at the same time, Tuchel's kind of more of a loser. <laughs> and when you put that together, it's great entertainment. <laughs> yeah, and and look, Tuchel. Yeah, I think, you know, we've discussed it previously on the podcast, like, he's never been, he's always come, he's always been reputed to be 
quite a difficult person to work with and get along with. Like he's been very hard on his players. He's kind of a throwback in terms of he doesn't believe in, you know, whereas you have someone like uh, Klopp who focuses very, very heavily on player relations and making sure everyone's yeah. happy. He doesn't care. He is just there like, you are here to do a job, do your job, or I don't want you. And I feel like I wouldn't enjoy having a beer with him. It'd be kind of weird. I I don't think I'd want him as my boss. He falls into that category. You know, if I look across the range of Premier League managers, I think Klopp would be a great boss. I think Guardiola would be a great boss. Guardiola, I'd love to have a beer with. He seems like he'd be pretty quirky. I I don't know. It'd just be be a a unique night out with him, I think. I think you'd have a good conversation. I like that I'm talking about them being bosses and you just keep going back to whether or not you want to have a beer with them. <laughs> Isn't that what you do with your boss? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, if they're a good boss, I guess. So, but yeah, no, I mean, it was, yeah, it was a good match, but, but, uh, and, and, and Spurs were definitely lucky to come out of that with a point. Yeah. Well, uh, again, according to Tuchel, I, with his interview after, he's, He's the happiest manager in the world right now, according to him, which <laughs> seems a little strange to say, but he clearly thinks that neither of those goals should have counted. And he was pretty definitive in that statement. He did not shy away from saying that neither of those goals should have been allowed. So in his mind, that's a win, even though on the table, it doesn't count as a win. Yeah, you can't, you can't <laughs> Sorry, buddy. at the end of the season. Yeah. And look, I think he should be happy because from Chelsea's perspective, that was an encouraging performance. That, you know, when you think of how, how bad their preseason has been, and even against Everton, they struggled a bit to create opportunities. I think that was a positive performance from them, and it looked like a step forward. So he should be encouraged by that. But, I mean, look, there were reasons to disallow both of the Spurs' goals. That being said, I don't think they, I don't think you could say they absolutely should have been disallowed. Now it's unlucky to have two goals scored against you where both of them have some question marks attached. But like, will Tuchel be as outspoken when Chelsea win a match with a goal that's a little bit controversial? Probably not. So, you know, I know that's the way it works for everyone in the world of sports, but, you know, people who are so adamant and so worked up over perceived officiating mistakes, but who will then, you know, overlook them when they work in their own favor, it's a little bit annoying. Like I don't need to hear him rant about it too much. Yeah. Actually, when I when I play hockey, I love to do that, but to do it sarcastically. And then you see the people who don't get the sarcasm and they get really upset that you're you're being a hypocrite. It's, I love that. It's so funny. <laughs> but I guess switching sports and switching from one person who a group of people who are maybe a little bit upset with their weekend. I guess we can talk about another bold prediction I made midway through Sunday and someone who is definitely having had a nice weekend and probably a nice Monday, and that is Will Zalatoris, who's got his, <laughs> his first ever PGA Talk about win. foot and mouth. <laughs> I'll say this. I actually wanted him to win, so I was – I know you won't believe it, but I was kind of reverse jinxing him during our conversations where I said Will Zalatoris will never win a PGA event. Oh, it was he way worse than that. I think you said you and him – uh, are at the same level right now <laughs> no, 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 because no, 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 neither no. of you have ever won a PGA Tour event. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, I said, I said he wasn't a somebody yet, and you said he'd won eleven million dollars in prize money. I said I think that's great. That's obviously a great life, way better than mine. I'm not trying to, like, I'm not being one of those people who tries to make out that athletes who are clearly wildly successful are somehow failures. He's not. 
but to be a truly somebody in the world of sport, I think, especially in individual sports, right? It's so different in, in the world of individual sports. You have to be winning things, right? If you're not winning things in an individual sport, it is kind of a binary equation. You're either, you either achieve things or you haven't. I don't really need to know how much prize money you've won. I guess it's kind of, in a sense, goes back. Isn't to that an achievement? Aren't you achieving that prize? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's not, it's not the, it's not the prism through which I view sport, right? So, I mean, it kind of goes back to why I don't find the live golf tour to be and in any way appealing because telling me that someone just won four and a half million dollars, it doesn't, it doesn't make me enjoy their achievement anymore. And, you know, yes, when you see a golfer like miss a putt and someone says, oh, that putt was worth, you know, the drop from fifth to sixth was $350,000. In that moment, you might think of it. But generally, I don't really think about, oh, that guy finished third. Great payday again for him. I, I, guess it's it's, like, I guess it's what you're defining like to be a somebody is. If you're from a small town and you make it to the PGA Tour and you don't win, but you get second in three majors... I bet you if you went back to your hometown, you're somebody. You're that guy who made it who made it all the way to the professional leagues and won a good 100%. amount of money, made it second. But are you a somebody in terms of the professional golf tour itself? Less so. No. You know, yeah. 100%. And again, as I said, I don't want to be making out anyone who plays professional sports for even one second has got so much closer to their dream than 99% of us will, right? So playing in a single PGA Tour event as a golfer, that's an amazing achievement. And I'm very envious of anyone who's got to that kind of level. Like there's no, I don't want it to come across as if I'm saying, oh, what have you won? Nothing, what a loser. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that. That's kind of what you I, said about Will Zeltors <laughs> less than 24 hours ago. <laughs> no, 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 I put the context within the conversation we're having, there was this context, but I just, you know, it's like you were speaking of him. You were basically saying, I predicted him. I predicted that he would not have, established himself as one of the top golfers in the world. And you were saying, well, look at the numbers, like second, thirds, like top five finishes he's getting. And my point was like, top five finishes do not help you establish yourself as one of the best golfers in the world. Like you have to be winning. And as crazy as that sounds, because it's- a I don't know, that you can argue against though, because if he's ranked the third best golfer in the world- Not necessarily, I don't, this is, again, this is me. It's a little bit, it's look, it's kind of the Brooks Kepka dilemma, right? Brooks Kepka was either winning a major or he was not making the cut. Like he was. He so was does that make much... Brooks Kepka a better golfer than Will Zalatoris? Yes. Ah, uh, no, in his I don't prime? think so. I mean, which would you rather have if I offered you? Like, which do you think? Would you rather have a season where you finish in the top 20 in every event you played in with a handful of top fives and a couple of seconds? Or. You win a major. I mean, honestly, I would take the consistency. I think there's something. I think there's something to being a consistent because I think consistency defines how good you are. And I'm not saying that anyone can just go out and win a major, but it's a lot easier. I personally, I think, to go out and do something really well for three days and then never be good at it again, or never get that high again, versus going out week after week and being in the running to win it week after week after week after week that shows that you are actually legitimately good and that there isn't any luck involved so to me i think the consistency is what defines someone being great i will caveat that by saying i do agree that at some point 
some of those being consistently good win. has to be a win. But I, I, I think that's a better definition of someone who's very good at what they do is that they're consistently there. I fundamentally agree with you. Like, I, I basically agree with you, but I also disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I do agree. Like, obviously, if someone had a, a season, like, it would be historic if they went through an entire golf season and it was like they were top five every, every tournament. You'd have to say, well, that even if they'd never, they never won, but they were top five every time, you'd have to say, what an incredible achievement. What a consistent golfer. Like, it has to be considered elite. But if they also never won, I, I kind of don't know how I would see it. It would be like, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> how many wins? I mean, at which point, you know, if, we're, if we've got scales going, right? And you say, okay, this guy has a full season of, of top tens. And this guy, the other guy either misses the cut or wins. How many wins do we go before that's a better season than everything being a top 10? Do you see what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a, tough. Is it three wins? Is it four wins? Like, at what point do you go, okay, I'd rather that that is a better achievement? Okay, not always, not always producing his best golf, but his best golf is better than anybody else's. And I think that would be the knock on the consistent non winner is like, someone's always better than you. It's kind of a little easier to define in an individual sport like golf because the thing that comes to mind in a team sport is like Jacob deGrom, the pitcher for the Mets, right? There was three seasons where he was clearly the best pitcher, but he just never won because his team sucked, you know? So there's a guy who you look at his wins and it's, okay, he won 12 games this season, but his ERA is like less than half the next closest guy. So there are instances in team sports, I think, where that can happen a lot easier or a lot more Frank, often. Our baseball fans, which I doubt there are that many of listening, but our baseball fans, any of whom are into saber metrics, are just like, this guy's still even counting wins. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, a lot of, sure? unfortunately, a lot of year end, a lot of uh, year end awards do. Hundred <laughs> percent, but but you know, like all the stats guys, wins, saves, all of that—that's meaningless now. Yeah, I you don't know. play. You don't <laughs> play sports for the wins. Hey, listen, I'm I'm a fan of Moneyball. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, yeah. So look, it was good for Zalatoris. Nice. He seems like such a genuinely nice person. We spoke about it before, right? When he lost to Fitzpatrick in the U.S. Open, he seems genuinely nice. Like even when um, Straka sank the putt to keep the playoff going he said nice putt now again there's a lot of golfers who i think probably would do that but you can tell he he kind of like really means it he's not just saying yeah. it because this is what you do right you tell the guy nice putt like he didn't i think you see a lot of people in a three when you see someone make a putt to go to a playoff on 18 and then make some a couple of tough putts in a playoff i think you would have seen disappointment on the face of his of the opponent a couple of times and Zalatoris never looked disappointed when his opponent did something good it was always nice 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 one no like yeah. shit I gotta, <laughs> I gotta try and beat this guy and that's that's admirable because I think I would have looked disappointed but you know so I, I mean I guess for any of those who didn't get to watch this uh, golf match it went to a playoff with Straka versus Zalatoris. And the first playoff hole, they 
put themselves in decent positions. Uh, Straka had a chance to win with a decently tough putt, um, but they both ended up parring the hole and going to the second playoff. And then at that point, I think at the tee box, they said to each other, let's try and make this more difficult. Or they said to each no, other, let's look like amateurs. Yeah, I think <laughs> One or the other was said. <laughs> I think they said, let's pretend we've never played golf before. <laughs> I think that was that was then what happened, and yeah, in the in the next two playoff holes, you watch Zalatoris be very lucky to not hit himself out of bounds, his tee shot, and I don't know about for you, the Sky commentators here, every time he played the 18th, didn't understand why he was getting his driver out, because they they were like he's going to hit it through the fairway, like he's so why are you not using a three wood or a long iron, and he got his driver out, proceeded to hit it through the fairway, hit the cart, cart path, and then bounced in the air, somehow luckily for him, caught a tree and did not go out of bounds. And Straka saw this and thought, you know what? I'm not going to just put this in the middle of the fairway. I'm going to try and cut the corner around this lake. No, Straka thought, Straka thought, Woods, that's amateur hour. I'm going to put it so close to the lake that I can't <laughs> hit it, but it's not in the lake. Now that's yeah. a bad tee shot. <laughs> So from there, we saw one drop taken, should have been two, lucky that not. And then after tying that hole, they went to a new hole, a par three. Zalatoris, incredibly lucky not to hit the ball in the water, just perched on the very edge of the green. And then Straka again, well, seeing that. No, I mean, see, like that's, see, that's giving it justice, perched on the edge of the green. He literally wedged it in between the the bricks that were like surrounding the hole from the water and the first patch of grass. He like stuck it in between that, which I don't know how it happened because it was bouncing off the rocks and then just fell right in between. It was impressive. Yes. No, he was incredibly lucky not to go in the water. And again, Straka seeing that you would have thought you, you and your caddy would have had a conversation and said, he's going to do incredibly well to get out of this with a par. So if we just plant this in the middle of this nice, open, big green, we're probably winning this. And he thought, you know what? No, I'm going to aim it at the hole. I'm going to, you know, and proceeded to hit it directly in the water. It was not a high quality. It was a little bit like watching amateurs finish up. It was incredibly compelling. And again, as we discussed, it shows you how the tag of being a professional makes things more interesting to watch even when the quality is not there it's like a very interesting sort of mental experiment to be yeah. like because i think these people are good at what they do even when it's awful i think it's better than it is because you know had that been a couple of, had that been us watching a couple of our friends try and complete a par three we would have just walked away and told them they were terrible golfers and not wanted to watch anymore and yet there i was watching you know two players hit out of the drop zone and and then you know chip out of bunkers and stuff it was it wasn't great but it was nicer zelatoris i i mean it's you. it's I was, I was gonna say it's literally like amateurs when you go with your friends and you'll hear them like oh yeah i'm actually one over through three but then when you look at how they're one over through three they put one a foot from going out of bounds and yeah. then chipped out and then and then saved themselves and then put one into the drop zone and then got a nice chip to get it close to putt it like that is that is how amateurs are one over through three was how they played those three holes it was so I, not I mean, pretty <laughs> i don't think you're gonna see many i mean look you had so what they tied with a bogey on 18th the second time round 
and then so Zalatoris played the three playoff holes two over par. So I mean, and yeah. Straka played them. We're not sure, but he. Oh, sorry, right, two, two over. Yeah, two over. Sorry. Yeah, Straka played them at least three over. He didn't yeah. in the end actually take his putt, but I don't think I, gonna many. You don't see many yeah. playoffs in the PGA one with a bogey, and you no. in particular don't see many playoffs on the PGA one on a par three with a bogey. You know yeah. that's an unusual achievement. I mean, I want to see someone look up the stat because I honestly think that has to be the first time someone's won their first PGA Tour victory in a playoff hole with a bogey or worse. <laughs> it's got to be the first. It probably is. It's a very, very specific statistic, but yeah. But, you know, Zalatoris, again, nice guy, but him, when he takes his hat off, the color of his, this is the thing I got with golfers in general. I like wearing hats. It gets to the summertime, you're always going to have an issue that you can get a difference in tan color between your forehead and your face. Golfers just seem to completely ignore this. I understand they're wearing hats pretty much all day. They're in the sun. You are going to struggle to have your face be one consistent color. But you will have... Zalatoris is among... There are a number of them. Jim, Jim Furyk is also awful for this, but I don't want to... The list is very long. But of golfers where their foreheads look like they've never seen the sun, and their faces look like they just live in a tanning salon. <laughs> what and do you want them to do? <laughs> when you finish your round, you gotta just like sit outside without your hat on or something. Like you need to put in an effort. Like you gotta. You They're gotta tired, take... man. They were outside all day. They don't want to sit outside longer. <laughs> go, go, go sit on the back. You know, go sit in the backyard of your Airbnb or. You know, on the somewhere in your hotel, take your hat off and get some sun on your forehead. You know, I think Jim Furyk's forehead hasn't seen the sun since like 1992. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Man, so critical. It, it, I, look, I've fallen victim to it. You know, when softball season rolls around here, it can get bad. But I got to put in the effort then to. So, you know, sometimes I'm almost trying to like cover my face. And just expose, because obviously if you just get the same level of sun then on your face, you're not really solving the problem. You're just making, but at least if you get a little bit of color in your forehead, it doesn't look as bad. It's the, when it's super pale, like the tan line is okay, but it's when it's literally like, oh, your head, your forehead has not seen the sun, but your face is tan. This is an issue. But anyway, that's my rant for the day. <laughs> is it worse on Americans, you think? Oh, for, for sure. Well, they wear more hats, so... Coming from the guy who never takes a hat off. <laughs> they definitely they definitely what, wear more hats. What, what a hypocrite. <laughs> there are people in Paris who think your hat is actually glued to your head. And here you are ripping on Americans <laughs> for hat tan lines. But you know what? Believe it or not, no hat tan lines. So I figured something out. Golfers, if you're listening, if you need a hat tan line consultant, I'm here for you. Now, I guess, look, said we have to do it every week, right? But we are talking golf. I think we do have to kind of talk about the Live Golf Tour slightly. This time around, I guess my real issue is with, well, there's two big updates, I guess. One is, I don't know if you saw, but there is an update to the new point system that will be used as of 2024. Now, golf point systems seem to change pretty frequently, and they are also having tried to understand them, incredibly complicated. 
as to how they determine the ranking points available for a particular tournament. However, now, I think this is a, whether or not they're going to admit it, this is a shot at the Live Golf Tour and Live Golf players. Because previously, basically, what was able to happen was tournaments were sort of, from what I can understand, able to negotiate how many world ranking points were available for their particular tournament. So there was an element of, like, the marketing of the tournament itself to try and make it more attractive. They were then able to get a lot of ranking points available to try and encourage more players to play in it. In the new system, the ranking points available are going to be calculated purely based on the quality of the field that takes place in that particular event. And so what that means is that basically after the event has been played, they will then look at the strength of the field to determine how many world ranking points should be attributed to the, you know, the various places within the, the end results of the tournament. The reason why this is really bad news for live golf players is because now that they can't play on the DB World Tour, the European Tour, and they can't play on the PGA Tour, and that was confirmed last week in the judge's decision, they're going to have to play, and I think they're starting this week, they're all going to start playing on the Asian Tour, which Liv has invested in anyway, so they have this automatic path to the Asian Tour. They thought for a long time that this would allow them to at least play in some Asian elite Asian Tour events and rack up some decent world ranking points, but out with this new system, none of these Asian Tour events will have any decent world ranking points associated with them. So as of 2024, these live golf players will just not be able to accumulate enough world ranking points to have a high enough world ranking to make qualify for majors or, you know, say hypothetically the Ryder Cup or whatever it is where their, their ranking points are a factor. Will this hold up? Because they can put this out there and say it, but I think push comes to shove, people are going to complain and people might try and push back. And is it going to, will it hold up? I think it will hold up. I mean, I don't know, having just received the, you know, having just been kind of the PGA winning the right to ban them in the first place, I think there's nothing wrong with them. You know, the, the argument here would be this is a truer meritocracy. This is, you play in a really hard event and you do well, good for you. You go and play in an Asian tour event, again, where the next highest ranked player in the world is 555th. Why are we giving you a ton of world ranking points? Like that was not as hard of a competition to win as winning, you know, something else. So, you know, I think there's a lot of logic behind the move. As I said, world rank, the, it is very, very complicated and they change yeah. pretty frequently, but I think it will hold up. And the other big talking point, Cameron Smith, who continues to be in a will he won't he relationship with Live Golf Tour, with it a very, almost very certainly he will, but he refuses to admit as much because it seems that he wants to play out the FedEx Cup playoffs and maximize, like get as many, as much money as he can from the PGA before he says goodbye, and also possibly get to a number one in the world rankings before he says goodbye. I think those are probably two goals of his. Now, Cameron Percy, a fellow Australian golfer, in the build-up to this first FedEx Cup playoff event, basically said that it's a done deal. Cameron Smith is leaving. Kind of semi-confirmed the amount of money that he may or may not be taking. And Cameron Smith 
lost his mind over this, came out with a statement in his press conference saying, you know, my goal, my goal here is to win the FedEx Cup playoffs. That's all I'm here for. If there's something I need to say regarding the PGA Tour or Live, it'll come from Cameron Smith, not Cameron Percy. I'm a man of my word. Whenever you That's guys tough, though. Me, Same first name. Yeah. <laughs> Might be tough. <laughs> I'm a man of my word, and whenever you guys need to know anything, it'll be said by me. He was immediately asked a follow-up question about whether or not he was going to be going to the Live Golf Tour. And he said, I have, I have no comment to that. Ask the other Cameron. <laughs> but I just said, it's like, when you need to know anything, I will be said by me. Follow up, I have no comment to that. It's, it's the fact that you cannot be aware that those words can come out of your mouth and you can't be aware of how absurd they are is kind of mind-blowing. It's always one of those things where you just... Again, not to be where athletes maybe think they're smarter than they are, so they feel like they're handling a situation really well. And it's like, you look like an idiot. Like, and then said, I have no comment to that. Like I said, I'm here to play the FedEx Cup playoffs. That's been my focus the last week and a half. Like I said, it will come from me, not Cameron Percy. What did Cameron Percy respond to that with? <laughs> I don't think he did. But I'd love it if he used every press conference now just to say, just so you guys also know, Cameron Smith is definitely going to the Live Golf Tour, no matter what he says. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't understand. I get why he isn't confirming that he's leaving for this very reason, that he he wants to play in the yeah. FedEx Cup playoffs. He might be the one. Th I get it. But don't go out and attack another golfer because you know three weeks from now you're leaving so you really look like an idiot you know it's kind of like the lance armstrong thing like you look like more of an asshole if you actively go out and attack other people for something that is actually the case just keep saying you can't comment on the live golf tour it's a decision that you'll need just say it. it's a decision i'll make in the future just say that yeah i'm here to play the fags cup playoffs and i'll make the decision when this pga season is done well like i'll let you know when the season's done but even if you said, I'll make the decision, make sure you maybe haven't signed anything, which he probably has, probably part of the issue, but maybe you've not, it's not been fully, you know, notarized or whatever needs to be done and go, I'll make my decision when the season. Well, Eddie, I had one last topic for you. Um, you know, we're getting ever closer to NFL kickoff. And now we had the first full weeks of preseason in the books. And Bill Barnwell, one of your favorites has come out with an article predicting the 25 NFL breakout candidates for 2022. So in true Bill Barnwell fashion, he breaks it up into like these random tiers and, and categories that he arbitrarily defines. So he has bench to supernova, pro bowler to stardom, starter to pro bowler, rotational to starter, and then post-hype candidates, which was anyone he just couldn't fit into a category like Juju Smith-Schuster, he thinks is going to have another great year after having a breakout year, but then kind of falling apart. But Trey Lance is on this list, Eddie. He can only technically fit into two categories, rotational to starter or bench to supernova. Which one do you think Bill Barnwell put him in? So, I mean, yeah, he, he like, by default, he has to be in bench to starter because that's just what's happening. Like, that's not even really a like an assessment of quality, right? That is just a statement of fact. 
I think I think Barnwell's high on him. I think he's going to Supernova. Only one player who barely played last season but might be an MVP candidate in 2022 belongs in a class of his own. He's not like anybody else on the list, and he's certainly not like the player he's replacing in San Francisco. Trey Lance from bench to supernova prediction by Bill Barnwell. It, I will say this concerns me. The level of Trey just, Lance. That was the follow-up question. Does this make you excited or does this no. concern you? The level of Trey Lance hype. You know, the the I do think if Trey Lance establishes himself, I'm not gonna say even as a superstar, but as like a legitimate NFL starter, you know, like, okay, this guy is in the top 15 starting quarterbacks, you know, kind of sphere. Like they're not you're never going into a new season questioning whether or not he should be replaced or if he needs to, they need to draft a new quarterback. If he just gets to that level, his, the first two seat, well, 18 months of him being in the NFL, such a fascinating case study, like from the draft of what the Niners were going to do to the immediate response, which was they've given up too much draft capital in terms of trying to get him to all of last season saying, well, what a waste of time this was because you've got Garoppolo to the beginning of this offseason when people were saying, well, the reports are that Trey Lance is not that great. If he, you know, so and such and such insider says Niners aren't that impressed with him, to all of a sudden everybody is wowed by him. Every highlight of his gets shared endlessly. I don't know. I don't think there's an NFL expert that I listen to now. And I, and I don't mean even listen to religiously, just people who occasionally come across my screen, who is out on Trey Lance. It seems like everybody thinks that Trey Lance is the second coming at this point. That's, yeah. a, that's a lot of pressure to carry. So do you want to hear his who his comparison is to? Uh, Russell Wilson. No, so it's, it's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, oh, so he has two, two main reasons for why he compares this, because when Mahomes before he became the starter, when he played, it was nothing like the Mahomes that then played when he became the starter. He was like a different type of player. And he's say, basically saying when you saw Lance last year play, it was not a true indication of how Trey Lance will play. It was more of just fitting him into that system. And now that he's the number one, you're going to see a completely different, almost like play style. The other big comparison, which is actually a pretty legitimate comparison, you have Andy Reid, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey compared to Shanahan, Kittle, Debo Samuel, and even Ayuk you can throw in there as even a, a, another one. So the having your weapons already around you and having sit a season like Mahomes did, sit a full season, and now come in, he's, he's basically saying he's the next – uh, best quarterback developer of his generation since Mahomes. Look, there's a there's a lot going in his favor. He's a, he's going onto a strong team, you know, a playoff caliber team, as shown from the fact that they nearly won the NFC Championship game last year. You know, you got a strong team, a lot of offensive offensive weapons around him, and a lot of experienced offensive offensive weapons around him. An incredibly smart team in terms of trying to make the most of the skills that are on available. And then, yeah, I mean, Shanahan, right, is, I mean, one of the big arguments for why they took this risk is Shanahan is this quarterback guru. You know, he's helped develop quarterbacks in every team he's been on. It's one of his strengths. 
it's supposed to, you know, and then throw in the way he just calls plays and the way he's going to be able to maximize what Trey Lance does well and maybe limit the risks that he has to take or where his inexperience might come into play. It's the best possible situation, but people are talking about him now as if it's an absolute slam dunk. I'm optimistic, but I think, you know, just throwing in the instant comparisons to Patrick Mahomes is strong. I think there's a big difference between him and Patrick Mahomes too, which is even in that one season where Patrick Mahomes was a backup to Alex Smith, I mean, there was no doubt that he was replacing Alex Smith the following season. Like that was, the Chiefs always spoke about that fact. He also started week 17, Trey Lance. Now, admittedly, that was a nothing game and the Niners did not have that benefit last season, but they had an opportunity to get Trey Lance more involved and get more reps in real-time game situations and did not. So I think well, I think in his rookie season, the Chiefs felt like Mahomes was a lot more game-ready, and I don't think the Niners felt like Trey Lance was particularly ready in his rookie season. And so yeah, I think there's, there and are I mean, clear I, differences. But Yeah, and, and that makes sense, right? Because when you look back in their college careers, you had Mahomes, who had a full college career, played a good amount of football and put up a high amount of stats. You know, he, obviously he wasn't as great of a college quarterback, I think, as he is a professional quarterback, even though he was very good in college, whereas Trey Lance started, what, half a season? You, you know, he has very limited snaps as even being uh, a, a college quarterback, let alone a professional quarterback. So just the rawness at that level is is definitely a factor. And I think that's what's a little bit different between Mahomes and, and Lance off the bat. So, but, you know, maybe he can make up for that. Maybe he doesn't need to have all that repetition and experience at the collegiate level and can kind of just step in and, and do it. We'll have to, we'll have to see now. High, high hopes here. Supernova. That's a uh, quite a category. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even entirely sure. Is a supernova a positive? I don't know. Is an exploding star? Is that a... No, he's going to, he's going to explode on the field and just ruin San Francisco. <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily a positive, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no. And, and obviously for listeners, you know, it's been a long old NFL offseason, a lot of focus on golf and tennis and a variety of other sports. But yeah, we're not too far away from our NFL preview. So that's something for everyone to look forward to that will be coming up in the next yeah. next couple of weeks. And then you'll have your nice full weekends of sport between European football and NFL. Oh boy. Don't schedule anything for the weekends. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I mean, the nice thing for me, though, is most of the the European football is on so early that I pretty much get a full Saturday to do what I want still, unless I want to start watching college football, which I end up doing. So <laughs> I guess at the end of the day, I still don't really do anything anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we'll call it a day. Talk to you later. <laughs>